Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As a creator, have you ever wondered if you can make money while you're tucked in bed, fast asleep? Well, in this special episode, recorded live at VidCon Anaheim, we're diving headfirst into the burning question on every aspiring creator's mind. How to turn your audience into an empire. Joining us on the panel are three incredible creators who have cracked the code and taken their online presence to a whole new level. Drew Afualo, Andrea Casanova, and Sophie Dossi. Our own senior talent manager, Megan France, is your host extraordinaire, bringing her unique insights and creator economy wisdom. Stay tuned. A world where dreams and reality coalesce awaits. So I'm very proud of what you're doing. Smile for 15 seconds out a day and make the world a better place. Welcome to Everything is Better with Creators, brought to you by Whaler. Join us as we dive into the latest trends, news, and strategies shaping the creator economy and learn how it's driving innovation and change. Hi, everyone. I am Megan France, Senior Talent Manager at Whaler, which is a global creator commerce company. We specialize in brand partnerships, talent representation, technology, and Web3 innovation. I'm super excited to be moderating today's panel where we will be learning for creators who have mastered the brand deal how to turn yourself into the brand. We have an amazing panel of ladies. Would love to introduce them. First, we have Sophie Dossi. Sophie. Andrea Casanova. And Drew Afalo. Thank you so much for being here with us. To start, would love some quick intros, what platforms you're on, and then a little bit the elevator pitch for your brand, your business. What are you selling, Sophie? Yeah, so I'm Sophie Dossi. I basically started off um, on America's Got Talent. I did contortion on America's Got Talent, and I shot a bone off my feet. It was a great experience. I had a lovely time on there. Um, it is a finale. From there, I took that platform that I had and started a YouTube channel. That YouTube channel, when I first started, was just kind of for fun, and it was just, I loved making videos, and... It was just fun for me. And then slowly over time, I started doing a lot of collabs with people and doing a lot of stunts with people, things like that. And slowly over time, grew this amazing audience and amazing group of people and was able to then start performing all over the world, start contortion classes for fellow kids that wanted to start contortion or gymnastics or do stunts, things like that. And yeah, and now I'm here. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. My name is Andrea Casanova. I'm originally from Venezuela, and I am an immigrant entrepreneur. I started my business um, when, once I moved to the U.S., and I am a content strategist. I specialize in vertical video content, 
And I started out on TikTok a couple of years ago. I actually used to um, strategize for TikTok and lead user acquisition for them. So essentially downloads. Um, I see one of my fellow coworkers at the time, Taylor, over there. So shout out to Taylor. Um, and essentially, I realized that there was a big power on TikTok before the brands even knew what it was. Everyone was like, oh, my gosh, that's banana bread and dancing. But obviously, um, there was a lot of potential there. And so I started onboarding brands onto TikTok and then ultimately also onboarded myself as Latinopreneur, uh, mainly because I didn't want my friends to find me on social media, but um, also to really embody who I needed when I was younger. I really wanted to see more Latinas in business and in marketing, and I kind of became that. And so I started creating content back in 2020. And with that, um, grew my business and utilized that as a lead generation tool. And now I do coaching, consulting, workshops, retreats, and around all things content strategy. And just happy to be here. Hi, everyone. I'm Drew off Wallow. Uh, I'm also a content creator, if you couldn't tell. I started on TikTok, um, as I'm sure some people know. I basically terrorize terrible men on the internet <clears throat> for a living. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> Turns out it's pretty financially successful. I'm kidding, but that's basically my shtick. That's what I uh, blew me up on TikTok. I started in, I say, full-time, probably like end of 2021. So it's, I'm still fairly new. I got fired from the NFL uh, in 2020, and then the pandemic hit, and then that's when I started making content. I... Originally started just telling silly stories. I like to make people laugh. So I guess I categorize myself as a comedy creator. And now I have a Spotify exclusive podcast called The Comment Section. I have a podcast with my sister called Two Idiot Girls. Um, I've done clothing. I've done <laughs> sponsorships. I've done the Oscars. I've done all kinds of stuff um, solely because of my platform. So I've been able to kind of you know, diversify and roll a bunch of other balls in different directions um, to kind of solidify myself in other forms of more like traditional forms of media. So yeah, I'm very excited to be here and excited to be with all of y'all, period. Love it. <laughs> and we will have a Q&A for these lovely ladies. So at the end, think about what wonderful questions you have. First, I would love to hear, you know, talking about revenue lines. I think we're all curious what is what has been sustainable to your business outside of brand deals that has really allowed you to own your own business. You know, it feels like these days folks who have a social presence might also have a quick print on demand merch line. How did you kind of identify products, your brand that would be unique to you and have product market fit, but your audience would also be receptive to? I think it's very important to figure out your niche and to cater to that niche. So like me, myself, uh, I'm a contortionist and a lot of people follow me, love gymnastics, love stunts. And so I started a contortion class online, a Zoom class uh, where people can, you know, subscribe to it and they can learn contortion, things like that. So I think building something that is very niche to you is very important because then it's hard to compete with it. For me, what I really focused on in the beginning is to make sure that I'm actively listening to my audience and the content that I'm putting out there. Because I feel like where a lot of creators go wrong is that they'll release a product that has nothing to do with the story so far. And what I mean by that is 
what are values, what are things that your audience just simply thinks of and they immediately identify that's part of you, whether that's a color, a logo, yes. But beyond that, like what are specific verbatims, phrases that you use, specific laughs or even iconic things that you have, uh, mannerisms and whatnot. And I think that when you really explore um, the content that you've been putting out, you can start to gauge an, an opinion on, okay, this is what people want. So active listening for me is huge. On my comment section, I would always get like, oh my gosh, how do you strategize your social media of your product-based business or service-based business. And so when I started understanding, oh wait, like literally the answers are right here in my DMs, in my comment sections. That's when I started putting out products that would align with that. So that way I'm not releasing a product and then just risking it to flop because there's no sort of like evidence that it's been asked about before. So I think that beyond niching is also understanding here's what your audience is asking from you and in the way that they're asking it from you and also make sure that you're taking them on that journey of come with me rather than look at me and randomly releasing a product or randomly releasing a song um, when you've never even talked about pursuing music in the first place. So I think that whenever we go online and we see oh yet another TikToker turned musician, I would say the not the hatred, but like the the hate that comes from that, re like the reaction from the audience that comes from a place of um, oh, great. Yeah, another to talk about becoming a musician. It's coming from a place of we've never seen you really dabble into these topics before. And that's why I believe that the more that you guide your journey, your audience on that journey of here's what I like, here's what I enjoy. And here's a dream that I've had for the longest time. Then they're more likely to support you on that path. Okay, T. Uh, <laughs> me taking notes. I think for me personally, I didn't release a product for a very long time. Um, well into like I have 8 million now on TikTok but like one, two, three, four, five, six, I hit really quickly and everyone you know asked for more merch and asked for some, something so they could support me because you know my audience is amazing and honestly funnier than me sometimes but I was really concerned about focusing on you know intentionality with whatever it is I dropped because that is associated with me and my name for the rest of my online career so I really took my time in that area but the first thing they asked for was longer form content right so you know my videos are kind of long on TikTok they're like three minutes but they wanted more so that's where I, a podcast came in so I started the comment section I had already been doing two idiot girls with my sister and both of those podcasts exist in two different facets of my personality so one is more sibling driven it's very like family funny silly the comment section is very guest driven it's very interview almost talk show like so I have two different mediums but they're both longer forms so you get to hear me talk for like an hour or like 45 minutes as opposed to like two and a half minutes that's kind of where I started building a diversified market and then when it came to an actual product i partnered with Change, who I love and adore. They were actually like the first real legitimate company to ask to partner with me to do brand deals. And Change focuses on, you know, sustainability and intersectionality, which are huge parts of me and my like mission, my goal, my platform as a whole. So I created, you know, shirts and sweaters with them that had branding that was very true to my branding. So I, it says women run shit on it. I had my own family be the models for it because I'm someone and I never see any someone representation outside of The Rock, who I've also met a couple times. <laughs> Which was really a dream come true because he was the only representation I had for a very long time. So me getting to be a Samoan woman now, you know, coming into this world of media, I thought it was important to showcase my family because my family is, is Samoan too. So, you know, we shot all of the 
shots at my house, like in my clothing, which was really important. And it did remarkably well because obviously people love you and they want to support you, but also they see themselves in the messaging and they feel supported and validated by it. So they're more likely to want to wear it and to rock it, which is really great. So I love that. Well, I think we know just content creation and brand partnerships is more than a full-time job. Would love to hear as you guys launched these products, these revenue lines to support your business, how did you think about managing that workload? Was it delegation to other people on your team or in your family? Was it hiring new people, bringing on representation? What did that look like for you in order to be able to do it all? I think it's very important you have a great team around you to try to do everything yourself is a lot on somebody, especially a lot of things I feel like are harder than they look. You think you can do it and then you try it and you're like, oh, this is so much work. I'm doing a million things at once. But I think it's very important to find an incredible team, um, very loyal team, people that really know what they're doing or even finding people that are just motivated and passionate and you can train them at it and they can figure it out over time and uh, work it out. But I think a very good team is very important. Something that I've learned, not just as a creator myself, but also as a producer. I used to produce for macro mega creators back in the YouTube days, 2016 and stuff. And something that I really did notice is that the best creators, the ones that succeeded the most and had longevity in their careers, were the ones who actually took some time to do, do it all themselves <laughs> in the beginning. And the reason for that is because you want to make sure that you at least have some basic knowledge as to what you're hiring. So my unpopular opinion is definitely try to stick it out for one month or six months if you can, editing, filming your content and whatnot. So when you're hiring someone, you know what to look for. Then from there, um, I noticed that a lot of creators would get really excited and they wanted a manager, an agent, a PR person. They wanted a videographer, an editor, a sound person and whatnot. And while all of those things are great in due time, I do feel like obviously there's a sort of investment that comes with that. But in addition to that, it's like you're scaling without knowing if your income streams are sustainable in the first place, especially when you're starting out. So my thing is I always look at where is resistance? Where is resistance in my workload? Where is resistance in my creators? Um, if you absolutely love and your zone of genius is in sitting down and talking to the camera, but what it keeps you from putting the content out there is the editing, then you know that most likely what you need to outsource and that gap that needs to be filled is the editing in the first place. And then sustainably and smartly scaling from there is the way to go over hiring a bunch of people or an agency that's going to charge you 50k like really get to know what you're hiring for and then from there focus on longevity people that believe in you people that are not just there to watch you do what you do just to become another version of you but rather stick it out with you for a year or two at least and what I always say is I always hire personality and train skill just because I feel like especially in this industry, you want to make sure that you have the right people that are aligned with you and that support your vision. And that at the same time, you can add to their plate and add value to their lives as well. So, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Just like both of what they said, the team part is very important. Like having a very, very, not just a capable team, because many people are capable in this industry. It's a team that believes in you a team that's going to take care of you, like outside of you being a creator, not just being a creator, but having people you can trust implicitly. I mean, when I was getting touched by agencies, I was at around probably like 400,000. At that point in my career, I was growing like 100K like every other week. So I was growing really fast. I started getting more and more hits. I met with a few agencies, but only one really stuck with me, which is who I'm still with now. Uh, my agent, Alex, she's here. Shout out, Alex. Uh, but she 
believed in me. Like she saw something in me. She saw past. Cause especially like for me, my content is obviously very vulgar at points. It's, it's very awful um, to see, you know, misogynistic content is, can be very jarring and very upsetting to watch uh, because of my really crass approach. Um, I think a lot of people were a little afraid to reach out to me because I'm not considered brand friendly. If you guys remember, I'm old. I'm going to be 28. But like back in the YouTube days, very, very, very. I know everyone's like, that's not old, girl. I'm old. In TikTok years, I'm 90. So <laughs> everyone's like, oh, my God, you're like 45. Wrong. But when it comes to that, like it, 10 years ago, everyone was very clean cut. No cussing, brand friendly because brands wouldn't work with you otherwise. Um, my agent still reached out to me and told me like, she sees something in me. She knows that there's something there. And, you know, as we grew and grew, turns out she was right. <laughs> um, but the beautiful thing about that is it's not about size. If you are a creator, there's going to be agencies that have really big names. Like they have huge stars that they represent and that's who they tout to you when they reach out to you. I represent so-and-so, I represent so-and-so. That doesn't mean they're going to represent you the same way that they represent them. So it's important to find someone who loves you for you, not just because you're the next new thing, the next hot thing, the next popular thing. You know, virality is is fickle. It comes and it goes. So I think a really, really strong team is important. At this point, I have a I have a very large team. I have an agent, a manager, a PR team. I have assistants. I have all of that stuff. But that came with time. Like you said, over time it comes. Don't rush when it comes to hiring people. I will say that something that with me, with team, like advice I could give is I'm very loyal. So I'll keep people on my team, even if I feel like we may be outgrowing each other. Maybe we're going in different directions. Sometimes I keep them still because I do love and appreciate them as people. But you have to remember, this is a business at the end of the day. Um, you take care of me, I'll take care of you. If at some point it's not working anymore, it's okay to cut ties. And that's also where a great team comes in handy because it can help you with that. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, they can help rearrange you, take care of you. So a really strong foundation is super important, especially to establish longevity in the future. Yes. Well, we'd love to hear a little bit from the early days of building different aspects of your brands, whether it be courses, your tour, products. What did that look like? Would you have done anything differently? What did you learn? All the things. I feel like in the early days, I definitely would have taken people a little bit more on my journey and my path to do what I was doing, especially with merch and the contortion classes and things like that. I feel like I would have probably like taken the whole journey and like vlogged it, posted more in my story about it, things like that. But um, I was really excited and just kind of released it pretty fast. I mean, I had a month in advance of like promoting it, but I would say longer promotion time helps a lot. I think that for me, I would have definitely created more keeping in mind the expert's blind spot. And for those who are not familiar with the expert's blind spot, it's usually when you develop a subconscious understanding of a topic or a theme, and then you talk to your audience as if they know it all. And so um, that happens to me a lot, and I have to check myself every day. I know it sounds very like condescending, actually. Like, oh, I develop a subconscious understanding of something. But really, it happens to all of us, just because we're so close to the topics and themes that we talk about. And so Something that would happen for me a lot is that I notice a dip in conversions or lead generation whenever I would talk to my audience as if they already know 
all these basic things that I know. And so really coming down to the understanding of the level that your audience is at is key when you're growing. Um, just because relatability is not just, oh, I relate to you because we grew up a certain way. Relatability is also the way that you convey a message. It's the way that you talk to your audience. So I would verbatim look at the content, at the comments that I would get, the DMs that I would get, and I would specifically hear how they're asking me a question. So rather than saying something like, this is why you should use UGC for your paid media, maybe saying something along the lines of, here's why you should use your customers' photos as ads and get permission, of course, because that's how they hear it. That's how they perceive it. And so definitely playing around with that. And also I would say creating content rather than focusing on the performance of it so much, testing out different formats for sure. Just because as creators, we tend to look at something that performs and then just roll with it. The key is to never reinvent the wheel as long as it's functioning um, and refining along the ways. But I will say, because right now we're in a phase in which, for example, CapCut templates have taken over the past couple years, honestly, like last year and whatnot. And now TikTok carousels are a thing when before we used to be like no photos on TikTok and whatnot. All these different elements, all these different formats are coming up. And I feel like the longevity of creators beyond their artistry will be being able to showcase their artistry through different formats. So I would have done that in the beginning. I think I would echo the same sentiment as far as like the algorithm is a revolving door. So it, it changes. It's consistently changing. It will never stay the same. As soon as you think you figure it out, it changes again, girl. So like... Focusing on that, especially when it comes to when you want to sell like you to brands, they care more about engagement than they do about followers. Are a lot of followers great? Yeah. But does it matter if you have like 2 million and you only get like a thousand likes on stuff? No, because your engagement's very low. So if you have a quarter of that, but your engagement is really high, you're still extremely marketable to brands because that's what they care more about. Also, a fun fact brands love when you have a very high demographic. Um, of women or femme presenting people because women buy shit. So women follow you. They they go on tour with you. When I went on tour, like all women and femmes, as far as the eye can see, love to see it. Uh, but they love you. They support you. So brands actually love that when, you know, misogynistic men are saying like, oh, women are so embarrassing when they're fangirls. Women determine what's popular. Like they really do. They determine who hires you. Oh, period. <laughs> They determine who hires you, who employs you, who wants to work with you because they love your audience and the engagement. I would say to focus on engagement more. In the beginning, I was just kind of willy-nilly doing it all. My engagement is really high and has been for a while, but that's only because I was focusing more, like you just mentioned, on creating for the sake of creating. It was because it made me laugh. I wanted to make other people laugh. And I firmly believe that the universe will withhold that platform from you if you're doing it for the wrong reasons like if you're doing it to get famous if you're doing it to get free stuff like are those things nice and a perk yeah um is that why you should be creating content no right so the world has enough content creators at this point you know what i mean so um yeah that's what i would have focused on more biggest takeaway women run capitalism sounds Period. like <laughs> Would love to chat physical products. I know, Drew, you have a clothing line and it has ties to sustainability. How did you think about being mindful about the environment when you were developing it? It's inevitable to think about that when you're trying to create a, a product. Like you want to think about how like environmentally conscious you can be and try and get there as, as close to the point as you can and changes like 
the perfect partner for me. Another huge selling point for Change was their size inclusivity. They go up to a 4X and it's a true 4X girl. Like, you know, sometimes they say it's a 2X and it's a medium. That's what I call white people sizing. Sometimes they do that, they lie to you. Um, but Change is for real. Like they actually are very size inclusive and they are, um, the clothing is genderless. So they don't have women's fits, men's fits. It's for anyone, it's unisex However you identify, you can wear the clothing and feel confident and feel beautiful in it. And when it came to the environmentally sustainable part, all of their packaging is environmentally sustainable as well, which is a huge sell for me. And they also are a huge nonprofit. So a portion of every sale that my clothing line makes gets donated to gender justice, which is something that they fight for equality for all gender spectrums and any, any way you identify. It's a really, really amazing organization. So that was another huge sell for me as well. So change is just the best. Me just being doing PR for them at this point, but they're <laughs> the best. You should look them up. <laughs> amazing. Hey, hang tight. We're not going anywhere. Our Everything is Better with Creators podcast will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Last question from me, then would love to open it up to the audience to so get your questions ready. Now you all have these amazing revenue lines supporting your businesses. What's next? How are you thinking about growing and evolving them? What's to come? I think it's very important to always start new things and always, always try new things. I mean, it doesn't hurt to try things, um, especially things that you're passionate about. I think it's very important to do what you're passionate about. And if that means like, Say for five years, you're doing this one thing, but you know, you're not passionate about it anymore. It's going to come out and resonate and your audience is going to see that. So turning a new chapter and trying new things is very important. Going through the journey of it with your audience is also very important or else it just comes out of the blue. Like some people before uh, they like have more of a kid audience and out of the blue, they kind of do a more like adult type content, like for, you know, adults. And then it doesn't do as well or it doesn't resonate with the audience because that's not your audience, but slowly growing your audience into that is very important. I don't know if this is like a weird thing to think about, but I don't want to say that we got lucky because of the pandemic. Obviously, we didn't. But the digital landscape was changed dramatically. Culture changed dramatically. And I feel like the advancements that we usually would see within three years in social media marketing or all things digital came at a couple months due to the pandemic and then how much we were consuming at home. And so I think that creators are in a really good space. And obviously I don't think that's going to change overnight, but I do think that we need to be very mindful of diversifying our sources of income and make sure that whatever it is that we're doing, we're focusing on adjacent industries or even completely different industries. Even right now, the real estate market's not great, but even that I'm thinking of investing into it at some point in the future, just because you never know when the digital pandemic is going to come. And then there's going to be a lot of um, sources of income being affected. I mean, we've seen a little bit of the effects of AI, which love AI. I think it's a great tool, but I do think that it's going to start at least changing perceptions to people and start affecting the market in some way. So obviously trying to stay ahead of the curve, I would say really look back 
history and understand the patterns that they are because usually everything's repeating. And so I would say definitely stay ahead of the curve, diversify the sources of income. Even if you're an entertaining or social media, like I have a lot of clients or people who just identify themselves as entertainers. So they think that they cannot have some sort of product other than merch or like a cute little, like, I don't know, card deck or whatever. There is always angles. The same way that in PR you have multiple angles and you're just one person, whatever it is that the reporter's working on, you can figure that out. It's the same thing with digital products. If you're a creator that's an entertainer, for example, I see my friend Ivan over there from Pero Like, and he's an incredible entertainer. Um, you'd think, oh, like, what does an entertainer have to do with uh, selling a course or a digital product? As long as you can find the right angle, maybe if you do skits, you can do a course on storytelling, on lighting, on brand building, whatever that is. Like, there are so many ways as long you're not closing yourself off to the possibilities that are open for you. And then the second thing is a little bit more woo-woo, but it's keeping a student's mindset for the rest of your life. I've, with the experts blind spot that I talked about earlier, something that I have experienced in my career and I'm 25, so definitely not know a lot. I don't know a lot about the world, but I do know a couple of things. And it's taught me to just always keep a student mindset, always be open to learning and um, being open to just exploring new avenues, like you said, and being open to growing that publicly as well. Just because you've done something so far doesn't mean that you have to stay there and cap your growth. Definitely be open to allowing yourself to expand. Both of you made such great points. I think it's diversifying like as soon as possible, like right when you get the platform, start thinking about other forms of media that maybe you're interested in. Like you had mentioned, you know, like everybody, I'm sure everybody knows Chrissy Schlepeka, right? She's always wanted to be a singer. Is that what she blew up on TikTok for originally? No, it is not. But she capitalized as soon as she got the platform. She's like, now I'm going to make music because that's really what I want to do. So for me, did I think I was going to be a TikToker? No. Um, but do I love to entertain and be like a host and tell jokes? Of course. So as soon as I got the platform, as soon as I got the opportunity, I started a show. And I started, it gave it a very strong visual component because I want to move into talk shows. And so I started another podcast. I started doing a lot of hosting gigs, right? I started putting myself in positions to be not just seen as a content creator, but seen as like what you mentioned, an entertainer, someone who can host, someone who can be a media personality and has very individual, unique branding and someone that people can relate to, want to watch, but then also can host and interview and all of those things. So I started trying to like diversify as quickly as possible in those realms. I think like as soon as you go viral, as soon as you establish the platform, immediately start thinking, okay, how can I, you know, start to roll other balls in different directions because social media is fleeting. It comes and it goes, it's not forever. So it's important to, I think, root yourself in a more traditional form of media, whatever that may look like, or maybe it's a business, maybe it's a product, whatever it may be. I have a couple of business ideas. I really want to start going on tour. Like my manager, Phil at Whaler, like he encouraged us to go on tour and it made me want to try stand up. Like it's something that is a completely different form of media, but I never would have found out if I hadn't like tried other forms of entertainment. So yeah, that's what I would do. Yeah. Manifesting a talk show for you in the next few years. Period. <laughs> um, all right. Any questions? We have a few minutes. Yes, right here. I wrote it down. So okay. Very specifically. Um, so how do we remove or change the negative connotations slash misrepresentations associated with feminism and get it more in public discourse, <clears throat> everyday things and larger strategies uh, for promoting positive action towards gen gender equity? Oh, period. Okay. Um, well, first, anyone who has anything negative to say about feminism 
you're never going to make feminism a not dirty word to them, which the acceptance of that is important. I think being as loud and like vivacious about it as possible. Like I'm a very proud and what do you call it? Like just committed intersectional feminist. If you couldn't tell about my content, which I do all the time. And I think at some point in media, it was almost taboo to uh, be really, really mean to men who are awful um, for reasons I can't understand personally. Um, that's not my culture. Yeah, girl, but it's a problem when I do it. So the, the difference is, I think, is that it has, as long as you have a very clear messaging that you're trying to get across, do I tell a lot of jokes and make a lot of silly hairline jokes? Yes, obviously. Hello. Low-hanging fruit for terrible men. However, there's a very strong message running underneath it, and those who listen carefully can hear it, and that goes for brands, too. At one point in my career, like at the very beginning, I thought to myself, like, what if brands never want to work with me? Like, I'll still keep creating content, but what if I can't monetize this? Like, because it's too scary to partner with someone like myself. And my boyfriend was like, do you want to work with brands who find it controversial to partner with someone who stands up for marginalized people? And I was like, not you being smarter than me. Okay. <laughs> Lost my nut for a little back there. But I think what's important is to be very upfront about what it is you want, who you are, and what your messaging is. To never dull it down or be like, well, I'm gonna be a little less loud because maybe they don't like that version of me. Um, and you know, even though I got fired from the NFL, they sent me to the Pro Bowl this year, girl. Yeah, they did. They were like a little scared, but they still sent me um, <laughs> because they understand the power of social media, it's important. So. You know, and, and to have a really great team too, like around you that can help you help fight for you, like us, like fight for your messaging, for your branding and like why it's important that you're there. So I think just be loud and proud. Thank you so much. I really appreciate You're welcome. <laughs> Hi, when it comes to um, getting a team to help you with a career, how do you make sure that you can trust them and make sure that there's no betrayal or things to them solid? I think that... A vibe never lies. Um, I'm huge on intuition and really on like feeling out someone. And if I just don't feel it from one conversation, then I don't feel it. Um, but in terms of actual business talk, I always like having a trial period. And obviously people are compensated for that trial period. Don't ever let people like not pay you for a trial period. That's like really sketch. A lot of agencies do that. I'm like, why? Um, but I usually run a trial period just because I like not only to like see people's creativity and whatnot, but also how they handle conflict. Um, I will usually measure my relationships based on how someone handles conflict because or like stressful times because that's usually when true colors come out. So I love, for example, taking a new team member um, to an event like VidCon, for example, and make sure that they capture content and provide support as much as I can. But also I want to see how they're able to really manage those situations themselves. And again, I feel like it's it's a vibe like when you see someone and they don't give you a trustworthy feeling or you don't feel safe around them and whatnot, like it should tell you everything, especially in this industry. You just have to be very mindful of that. And when you do find those people, cherish them as much as you can. You, if you have no sense of the space, like I didn't when I came into content creation, I have a very strong family support. Um, read your contracts carefully. If you know anyone who can read them, read them, especially with agencies. Also, you can also speak to other creators who love their teams um, never underestimate the power of networking, talking to everyone, being like, how do you like your team? What do you like? What, what don't you like? And also like, 
you know, she mentioned to trust your gut. Like if it doesn't feel right, you're probably right, you know? And also the trial period is important too. like six months, I think is a good measure to see. I think sometimes trial periods can be too short. Like if you do like a month and someone, sometimes they can't really show you what they can do in a month, but six, you give it six months. And then if you don't like it, you can bail make sure that's in your contract. Also never let them take more than 20%. That's a scam. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I fully agree with you guys. I mean, I think you guys said it perfectly. I mean, first impression is a big, big thing. And then also putting them through a trial run. Maybe they have potential, but it's not quite what you're looking for. But maybe you could train them into it or things like that. Or they're passionate about it where, you know, you can still work with them in another way where it's not what they initially wanted to get hired for. But maybe you have another opportunity for them. And also remember that at the end of the day, it's business. As much as I love my team and I love everyone around me, um, I want them to look out for themselves. And I want to look out for myself as well. You know what I mean? Like if they don't feel like they have a great work-life balance or integration, then they can communicate that to me. You know, if, if I don't feel like I'm being supported by them in any way, then I can communicate that. At the end of the day, it's like, a lot of creators, they get super excited at the thought of a manager, an agent, or a publicist. And it's it's cool. I mean, I love being with Whaler, but seeing other people's experiences in the space, I'm like, I got pretty lucky that these people actually care about me. So don't get too excited when you get that contract. Don't sign it on the same day. Literally, give it a week. Um, consult with a lawyer. I'd rather spend 200 to 600 bucks for a lawyer to look over a contract and tell me, hey, here are these red flags that I probably would have never identified. Um, then be stuck in a situation that's going to cost me more money in the long run. We one time had a creator who didn't want to sign to Whaler because Mercury was in retrograde, which I understand. Valid. It's got to feel right. Um, the last piece of advice I'll give you as a rep is, you know, it is an interview. You should really feel like they've done their homework. Reps can really only manage a handful of people. So they should know your business. They should be able to think strategically about what would level it up for you. Ask for references of creators they currently work with that they no longer work with. Ask for references from brands and agencies that they work with because they are an extension of you. And brands and agencies will not come back to book you for work if they didn't enjoy working with your rep. So that's really important to keep in mind. Any other questions? Yes, we're here. Hi, thank you guys for your time today. It's so inspiring, all of your stories. Um, I also wrote it down. So as creators and scaling from bottom to top, what do you value as like your bottom piece and what do you prioritize as your top piece? Where is your biggest value, whether it's the team building, whether it's, you know, getting things like contracted out, what's your bottom piece that you see as like the biggest value? And then the top piece could be more of something like that you're excited for, a new adventure, something like that. So. I think uh, keeping your content very creative and unique is always the base personally for me. Having a great team around you, again, a very loyal team, people that are looking out for you, people that will help you say like what we were kind of talking about earlier, where if you do have to, you know, run into things where, you know, someone isn't working out for you very much and, you know, you do want to take care of them, but also at the same time, like you do have to remember it's a business, people that are looking out for you in that sense as well. Then from there, I would say looking at other avenues to build your business and whether it's, you know, starting like for me, like contortion classes or starting a merch business or maybe starting something else like say a podcast or 
gaming channel or whatever, whatever you want to start from there, building your business um, into other revenue sources. I like recommending everyone do an 80-20 exercise. And what that is, is focus on staying. I, I like this phrase. I don't know where I heard it, but I heard it. It's not mine. And it's staying close to the money. Analyze the things that really generate that money for you. What's generating the most impact and literally write them down on a list from putting makeup on in the morning makes me do more videos than I put my makeup on first. Um, all the way to making X specific type of content generates X viewership, which then translates into revenue. Um, then I focus on that. So staying close to the money in the sense of make sure that whatever it is that you're putting out, you're actually measuring the impact that it generates. So I love doing that. But in particular, what I like to focus on and what I recommend every creator, regardless of the type of topic that they talk about, is to stand out as a key opinion leader. This is a term that is usually used in Southeast Asia or Asia in communities where they have other apps such as Red, I believe. Like, yeah, I think it's Red called or like Doing, which is TikTok essentially over there. And if you study the trends over there, a lot of their content is very much educational focus, which I like because it's easier to monetize. And by educational, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to stand on stage and talk about something, but rather like educate your audience on how to use a hair clip or makeup and whatnot. So I would definitely suggest every content creator to start seeing themselves as a key opinion leader because you don't have to be a 12th grader to coach a fourth grader. You could be a fifth grader and coach a fourth grader on something, right? And so when you start dabbling to those topics and you start standing out from the crowd and building a brand, you can get opportunities like this where you can get featured in the press. You can come on here and talk about something. I mean, the fact that you're a contortionist and you're speaking on this, it's amazing because it's such a niche that like we don't even think about as much, right? And you've built such a successful business on that. So this just comes to show that you can basically monetize anything as long as you have the right angles for that. The most important bottom piece of my business is literally my team, right? But more specifically, communication constantly checking in on everything. Like, where are we at with brand deals? Where are we at with, I'm writing a book currently. Where am I at with the podcast? Where am I at with my tour? Where am I at with my book tour? Like constantly checking in and like temp gauging where everything is at. And that's why having a team is so important because you need them to mind all your P's and Q's for someone like myself, especially. And I know you ladies as well. I'm very busy. And part of my job is to continuously pad my social medias. I still need to upkeep content. I know I used to post every single day, like every single day I would post at least once for like almost two years. Um, if I missed a day, I would feel really guilty and be like, I have to post two tomorrow. Um, it doesn't matter the frequency as long as you are consistent. It doesn't have to be every single day if it's once a week, once a week, every time. So for me, I have to make sure I'm upkeeping every single, you know, I have to do my end of the deal, which is continue to be a creator. But I also have to make sure I have a team who's holding the other end for me. So I think at the very top is making content because it's super easy now at this point. I'm like, I know how to make content. The very bottom and most important is sustaining all my other foundations of my business that includes my podcast those things need just as much attention as my social media accounts do if not more because they're supposed to grow into even bigger things like that's the only reason why Spotify bought my show because I was putting so much effort into it and I was making no money off that show for a very long time but I had a lot of fun doing it so I, I was like this is going to take me somewhere and it did so that's what I would say is my base and then the very top is just being a creator. Make sure you're posting every consistently at some point. <laughs> Phil's told us about the amazing Trello board that controls your life. It sounds, <laughs> yeah. sounds incredible. Asana's great. Asana's a Asana, great tool. Sorry. I live by the Asana. So, 
All right, we have time for one more question. Who feels like they have the best question to wrap it up? Lady in the back, sure. This is literally awesome. You have some great information. My question is, how do you diversify your content from all those platforms? Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. I think for me... My niche is very specific on TikTok. I know why people come to see me on TikTok. They want to watch me eviscerate someone horrible. I got it. My other platforms are ways for me to showcase other parts of my personality, other things that I can do. I can be funny and I don't need to make fun of someone to do it. The way that I prove that is by posting other kinds of content on my other platforms. So my Instagram, for example, compared to my TikTok, my Instagram is more lifestyle content. Um, do I still make fun of men on there? Yes, of course I do. Um, but that's so on an as needed basis, whereas my TikTok is kind of like, that's all it is. But once I started diversifying different kinds of like showing different parts of my personality on my other platforms, I started sprinkling that in on my TikTok too, because the goal is to eventually, you know, I don't want people to think that I need to do that forever in order for them to be able to do it themselves. I do love doing it and I will continue to do it, obviously. But that's just, I think, a way for you to think like, okay, well, I'm going to do like maybe you love fashion. You know what I mean? So then you post a lot of fashion bits on your Instagram, but that's not what you blew up for on TikTok. I think it's just makes you more well-rounded when you do it that way. You keep the same thread line, but then you get people peaks into other parts of your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I fully agree. Like, say, on my YouTube channel, um, it's a lot more comedy, a lot more challenges and my personal life. And I would say like my TikTok and Instagram, um, TikTok's a lot more of like just fun stuff. I just happen to like do in the moment some mainly just tricks, really. YouTube, you see my whole personality, my whole life. Um, And then Instagram. Yeah, it's just kind of like lifestyle, just fun pictures. What I'm what I happen to be doing that week, things like that. Yeah, I would say each platform is very, very different. I think that understanding the role that a platform is playing for your brand and your career is really important. For example, TikTok is a discovery platform, in my opinion, just because it allows you to be exposed to a lot of people. But because the For You page is so interesting, obviously, you're not going to show up every single time. There's other lucky creators that get to, to do that. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. And so when you focus, okay, this is my discovery platform. Therefore, I'm going to invest that type of content there. But then Instagram is probably my nurturing platform. It's where people follow me because they saw that one video on TikTok and they're like, I'm invested in this person. I'm going to go ahead and follow them there. And so when they come to Instagram, they go, okay, I liked your stuff, but now I want to get a little bit more personal and up close with you. And so that is when you start deferring one platform to the other, what sort of content that you're putting out there needs to, I guess, mirror the customer journey. So essentially if a customer or like in this case, an audience is not um, problem aware or at least solution aware that you're there providing that sort of value, probably TikTok is a great platform because it's discovery driven, right? But if you know that at some point they're already invested in you, like in the customer journey, you lead them to other sources um, where they can get a little bit more of you, like Instagram or even like an email list. Because at that point, they're a little bit more um, connected to you. And then the content varies. What I have on my newsletter going out every week is not the same thing that I put on my TikTok because even though there might be some news that I'm sharing or some updates that I want the audience to learn from, at the same time, they won't care about my dog scruffles right? Because they're not invested in that journey just yet. And so really understanding what role each platform plays in your business is key. Well, thank you everyone for being here for the questions and a special thank you to our amazing panel of ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Everything is Better with Creators is honored to be a part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network, and we are grateful for your support. If you enjoyed the show, hit that subscribe button, and if you have a moment, we'd appreciate a rating and review. To keep up with all things Whaler and the latest in the creator economy, visit us at whaler.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. This is Ashley Rudder signing off for now. We'll catch you next time with another episode of Everything is Better with Creators, powered by Whaler. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.